So happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Yesterday was marked the um, 99th day of Ajahn Chah's birthday. So it was kind of coincidence to have it very close to Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is a nice reminder uh, to you know what what inspires us about our about our dads and my dad was a very by the time I was born I'm the ninth out of ten children and my dad was very tired <laughs> of children I think <laughs> by the time I came along he was very silent uh, he was a policeman he always carried a gun and he, uh, he liked Western movies, so I thought of him. What I admired when I was a very young child is my... And he, and he, wore cow, he loved cowboy hats and cowboy boots. and So I'd watch these shows with him, uh, these Western uh, movies. John Wayne. He was a devout Republican as well as John Wayne. <laughs> but... Uh, and I and I grew up with uh, as a youngster, as a young child. I was really admired. The, he was the strong, silent type, and he carried a gun. You know, I I thought that was really cool. And one of the things, as a uh, fast forward to many years and meeting the lineage of Ajahn uh, Cha, one of the things I really have come to admire about. Uh, the father of this tradition, this lineage, is uh, you know, the, the, the teaching that Ajahn Chah gave over and over and over again is that everything is uncertain. And the value uh, I have found in uncertainty, you know, as a, as a youngster I was certain my dad was, you know, uh, next to sainthood. A, that just reminds me of a um, story where that perception was broken for me. <laughs> uh, my mom was a, a devout Catholic and uh, my dad never went to, he was Catholic but he never went to church, but he'd gather all his kids up with my mom and drop us off to church and pick us up and take us out for breakfast afterwards. And uh, I just thought this was the way it was, that, uh, you know, fathers don't go to church, mothers do. Children go to church with their mothers. <laughs> anyway, my, mo my mom used to, uh, when I was quite young, she, would, she ordered me these books that were for these Catholic children's books. And they'd come once a month, and I really looked forward to this time because she'd take time out of being the home at stay home mother stay at home mother for 10 children she'd take time out when these books came to sit down with me and read them and they were about saints the about catholic saints and and uh i noticed over the period of 
several opportunities to sit and listen to these stories, I noticed that these saints seemed to all die young. It was quite common, you know. They, And so I asked my mom, you know, do why do these saints, why do these saints all die young? And, and uh, or for, for, in most cases. And, uh, oh, she said, well, why, why do, are you worried about that? I said, well, does this mean that daddy's going to die young? <laughs> Is he about to die? And she put her hand on my knee and kind of giggled and rocked my hand and looked up out into space and said, hmm, you don't have to worry, honey, daddy is no saint. <laughs> and I was certain he was. <laughs> and then as I got older, fast forward now into my teens, I began to realize my dad was no saint. <laughs> and I became kind of an angry teenager. Um, at that time, focused my anger was focused at my dad. And uh, I could think of all sorts of reasons, which I won't go into. We can, we all, most likely, we've all done this with our mothers or our fathers or both. My mother had her turn, but first it was my dad. <laughs> I was, I was quite an angry young, young woman. But, uh, but. As a teenager and going through a period of being angry at my dad, what I didn't realize was how certain I was that he deserved my anger. And I began to see through this filter of being angry at my father. And this lasted for the rest of his life, actually. I was angry at the time that he passed away. But just before he passed away, he told me that he understood that I was angry with him. And he also understood that one day I was going to really be able to accept that he loved me. And this was one of the things that angered me about him, is that he was a strong, silent type, and he never told me he loved me until he was on his deathbed. And when he said that, it made me even more angry. Like, oh yeah, now you're going to tell me? That was my reaction. I, I couldn't take it in. I couldn't actually handle it. I couldn't respond to it because I was fixed in my view that I deserved better than what I got. And, uh, and then, again, then fast forward several years into the future, and um, and I and I recognized what a gift it was that he could transcend our history, uh, even though I could not. He could transcend my anger toward him, even though I couldn't. So that one day I'd be able to accept. Oh my gosh, he actually did love me. He could do this. He could transcend habits that we had for a large portion of my life and a good chunk of his.
that he was able to respond to me from a place of loving kindness, empathy for the fact that I was stuck and a perception that wasn't holding true at that moment was more than I could uh, see, was more than I could give benefit to at that time. But the fact that he was able to do that it was a huge benefit for me as time went on and I began to understand that I'm just holding on to a view at the cost of my own uh, sense of peace, at the cost of my own benefit. After this switch of this, this letting go of my view of uh, who he was and who I was and what I wanted, what I didn't get, after I was able to let that go and feel the truth of and the gift that he had offered me, I was able to pick it up finally and see it. I had a dream that he, I was sitting on a park bench and could hear the birds, the sun was shining, I mean, this typical kind of um, woo-woo scene, that, <laughs> but it was, it was really beautiful. Greens, blues, sunlight, and I'm sitting on a park bench and, you know, I'm just feeling this relief and this sense of joy that I could set this down. And then what I understood was right there, as soon as I set it down, I could feel the love from my dad and he was, and he had been gone for quite some years. And as soon as I opened, as soon as I dropped that and opened up to uh, the gift that in fact, there was love there, because how could he have said that otherwise? There was love there. In my dream then, my dad came and he sat down next to me. And he didn't speak, but I could feel the connection that I hadn't felt since I was a child, since I was a little girl. And there was no longer the perception that he was a saint. <laughs> there was an appreciation for the gift that he left me. And so then I, I could love him. And I knew that he could love me. <laughs> Ajahn uh, Pasano has these little, this little book, there's two of them. This is the first one and then there's a second one that has two rows of um, jewels on it. And these are little snippets from, well they're not snippets, they're actually full and very short Dhamma talks that he gives, Dhamma reflections that he gives um, 
first thing in the morning after breakfast down at the monastery. For those who don't know Lung Porpasano, um, that's who I consider my spiritual teacher, my spiritual father of these days. And I just wanted to read this little piece out of here. Uh, I'll read a little snippet of one of his uh, talks where he's, he's speaking about Ajahn Chah's teaching of uh, change. He says, The uncertainty of things is simply how they are. But it's the way we respond to uncertainty that we need to focus on. That's what reveals the area in which we have more work to do and the areas in which we have a good handle on the practice. What happens when we experience some difficulty and anger arises? What happens when we get what we want and an experience of happiness and well-being arises? How do we respond to that? Do we take it for granted? Do we make assumptions? Do we create certainty around it? Do we get caught up in it? Do we create a sense of self around it? Working with uncertainty in this way is our practice. It's what gives us the opportunity to realize true peace. True peace cannot be found in a passing mood or a state of mind. True peace comes through recognizing the fundamentally, the fundamentally uncertain nature of things. If I could have recognized that it really was uncertain that whether or not my dad was saintly, then I wouldn't have held him at such a high standard. You know, so that when I recognized as a teenager, you know, that he had made some rather large mistakes in his life, you know, that wouldn't have been such a um, dramatic shift for me in my in my perceptions. But I. I was strong in what I believed in. I was stubborn. You know, and as I came into contact with this practice and the teachings of Lungpur Cha and Via Lungpur Pasano, I began to loosen up on the idea that I knew what should be how things should be, when they should be, where they'll be, when will I get it, what will I manipulate out of my life, to what extent. You know, all these perceptions or my framework of existence was built on my beliefs of who was right, who was wrong, who was good, who was bad. What did I deserve? When would I get it? How would I get it? Who will give it to me? If they won't get, give it to me, how will I get it from them? You know, all these perceptions were my framework. And these are, you know, all uncertain. And the stronger I would hold on to my perception of the way things should be, the more I would suffer when I'd come into con contact with 
reality. Because all things do change. All things do change. There's nothing that we can conceive of that's not going to change. So in this practice, learning to recognize that all things change, what's important is how I respond. That's what's going to make me suffer, is how I respond. Am I going to demand that it not change? Well, then I'm going to suffer. Am I going to demand that somebody change to fit my viewpoint? Then I'm going to suffer. You know, Dad wasn't a saint. Dad made some pretty big mistakes in life. How could I have responded? Number one, he was Republican. <laughs> and I was Democrat, and I never knew. I grew up not knowing that my father and mother were Republican because they let me have the space. And I, when I found out, I spent a lot of hours trying to talk them into my way of thinking. <laughs> and I, I thought it was them making me suffer because they didn't hold my viewpoint, but they weren't forcing their views on me. I was, though, forcing my views on them. It was rather righteous. Uh, I think that's what a lot of parents can do for their children is hold space. I didn't have the same capacity. And I can recognize that now. But I couldn't see it then. It's, uh, this going off topic slightly, but it's coming up to mind. My mom, uh, in the, toward the end of her life, was in an Alzheimer's unit and I was taking care of her and I brought her ballot to her one day and I sat down with her and I, I turned off the came in and the Fox News was going which she tend to have going all day long turned that off sat down with her and told her oh, your ballot well, what's it for for President of the United States Oh, okay, I'll go through it with you, Mom. Here's a really good one. Barack Obama. <laughs> Who is he? Oh, he's so nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Click. <laughs> I think that was okay. <laughs> I didn't do that out of anger. We had, a, uh, we had a really, really good relationship. Uh, the farther into dementia she went, the better our relationship got. She, uh, she, once my dad died in seven, 1978, um, my anger turned, turned <laughs> I wasn't, I was really messed up, but my anger turned, turned toward her. <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't until um, she started showing signs of dementia uh, that, and I stepped in to do a lot of her care uh, that I 
got to the place where I could let go of my perceptions once again. By this time, I was well into Buddhism, but uh, but I thought, you know, I'm just gonna. I'm, in this case, I'm just gonna let go of the past and just be with mom, as uh, as if she wasn't my mom, but somebody that needed some care and attention. And so, as she became um, more and more succumbed to the dementia, she started to not recognize me anymore. And uh, and then I was no longer the daughter who had uh, been rather nasty to her for several years. I became the person that came into the that visited her several times a week four or five times a week, brought her flowers, brought her Hershey's chocolate bars, because <laughs> she loved them, watched movies, western westerns, <laughs> old westerns with her, to the point where one day I walk in, and this happened over her final year, almost every time I'd walk in and she'd go, oh, 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 what, who, what, who are you again? My name's Mary. That's my that's the name Christian name that she gave me. My name's Mary. Oh, Mary. You know I've always wanted a daughter like you. <laughs> and that was very touching to me. I loved it. She could never. And I'd say, oh, that's good because guess what? I am your daughter. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Yes. What was your name again? Mary. Oh, I've always wanted a daughter like you. <laughs> and we'd do that again when I went to go. It's very sweet. You know, and then I, so all those perceptions that she and I had in growing up, she didn't like the fact that I was angry at her husband. She didn't, and, and she didn't like the fact that I was angry at her. And, and I was not pleasant to be around my parents for quite some time and but all of that was gone you know and as the dementia didn't let her hold on to these past perceptions fortunately i was also in a place where i could let these perceptions these habits go you know in in buddhism they talk a lot about letting it go and this is what just let it go I remember the first time I heard this from Ajahn Amaro. I had just met him at a retreat, three-day retreat. I was in uh, a Zen group, and he came to teach with uh, my Zen teacher. And he spoke often about, you just let it go. And I, I, I went up to him after the end of the retreat and asked him, I don't understand how to let go. I don't know what you mean by letting go you know it's just that that didn't make sense to me it's because some things are certain and he he picked up a a mallet for a striker and he says oh it's like this so you're holding on to this really tight right you're just holding on it's like holding on to an idea and then and you do this i was just like i still don't get it <laughs> I couldn't let go. Uh, but as time has gone on, what I've learned, how, I, how it works for me, 
is, uh, and I've heard Lumpur Pasano use it in this way, is you just, you either don't pick it up, or you, if you have picked it up, you know, a, a thought that you're adding into your framework, this is, this is true, and this is the way it should be, you can allow it to pass. So allowing it to pass because it can only stay as long as we hold on to it as truth. So just allowing it to pass means we're not feeding it anymore. And if we don't feed it, we naturally relax around it. And it will slip away because it can't stay unless we hold it. All perceptions are impermanent. They have to fade. We're just never present for watching them fade. So the trick is staying present. Allowing these perceptions to rise. So I can, to this day, I can still think of things that I wish my father hadn't done. And then I can recognize that this is this is a perception and it makes me feel a little tense right here in my in my gut so I can feel that tension in my gut and I can literally relax the tension in my body and then the belief in that perception is no longer there it relaxes it allows it to move. The energy moves through our body. And if it comes up again, I can find it in my body and let it go. Relax. And then what's in its place is compassion, both for my own ignorance that leads me to try to hold on to that which is impermanent and for the ignorance in this case of my father for misstepping here and here and again and of course these days having been 63 I'm older than my father was when he passed away now and I have made you know, as grievous mistakes throughout my life as he had made. You know, so it's if I was unable to forgive myself, I'd be unable to forgive him as well. But recognizing perceptions can only stay uh, present. The, the, the suffering around the perception is only present as long as I hold on to it. I can allow it to pass. And then what's left is peace. It's just with the way things are. It's just relaxed. There's no perceptions impinging on my consciousness. And then they arise, and I hold and let go. 
and I hold again. But that that bit about suffering, you know, it's an indication that there's an opportunity now to let go, an opportunity to allow something to go. We're suffering because we're holding on. So instead of feeling bad about, oh, I'm suffering again, we can recognize that, oh, I have an opportunity to see what I'm doing. What am I holding on to? Here's my opportunity. Oh, I can relax around this. And then we can see what steps, what actions to take to move wisely rather than that framework that we're holding on to. What can we, how do we respond to the world in a wise way from a place of equanimity, from a place of acceptance?